Too often I hear people say, To God be the glory, or all glory belongs to Him. And yet, their actions don't seem to really reflect God's glory. What they do doesn't seem to fit with what is prescribed in the Scriptures for how believers in Jesus Christ should live. And yet, in their actions, they give glory to God. Someone told me once, true story, said, Pastor, I won 50,000 pesos gambling at the casinos. To God be the glory. Can this statement be accurate? We as Christians give God the glory when we attribute and credit glory to Him because of who He is. First Chronicles chapter 16 tells us. We ascribe glory to Him because of who He is. And we also give glory to God by living a life that is consistent with how He tells us to live in the Scriptures. And we look at Psalms chapter 19 or Psalm 103 and John chapter 14 to show us that us living a life of consistency with what He has told us in the Scriptures bring glory to His name. It is clear from the Bible that our ultimate purpose is to glorify God with our lives. It is meant that our singular purpose in this life is to live for God's glory. Now keep in mind, theologically, our actions for or against God's glory do not diminish in any way God's glory, and it doesn't make greater God's glory. You see, God's glory is full. It is intact. It is magnificent. It is full of splendor. It is worthy of worship, whether we give it to Him or not. Because God's glory is intrinsic to His own character. His glory is who He is. It is a part of His character. So when we say we live for God's glory, we are really, in fact, living from God's glory. We do not contribute to God's glory in any way. So what we do in this life is we are essentially highlighting, we are reflecting His glory. And that's why in everything that we do, the Bible says we can do it for the glory of God. We are highlighting, we are reflecting God's glory in the way that we live to the world in which we live. And thus, whether you are eating, whether you are playing sports, whether you are studying, working, going on a mission trip, or even playing video games... You can bring glory to the name of God. It is in this theological context that we tackle our next responsibility as we continue our series entitled, Own Up, A Call for Personal Responsibility. And this morning, we want to take a look at the responsibility to live for God's glory. The responsibility that you and I have to live as followers of Jesus Christ for God's glory. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in this amazing book. 1 Peter, chapter 4, we will be looking at verses 1 to 11 this morning. What does living for God's glory look like practically? For some, it's a nebulous concept. The simply tagging on to God be the glory for His glory at the end of our social media post or at the end of an achievement or even just dropping it verbally? Does that somehow bring what we have done 
to direct it to God's glory. What does it entail? What does living for God's glory look like practically? And then how can we say to God be the glory and really mean it? We want to look at that this morning as we study 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but rather, or for the will of God. Peter begins this section in verses 1 and 2 by stating very clearly that since Jesus Christ died for your sin, suffering unjustly in order to do the will of the Father, and we who are followers of Jesus Christ have experienced the cross, then we should live as new creations, no longer living for the sinful world, but rather for the will of God. Very clearly stated in these first two verses. To live for the glory of God is to obediently follow His will, Peter says in verses 1 and 2. And that's number one of your taking notes. To live for God's glory is to obediently follow His will. Verse 2, that He no longer should live the rest of His time in the flesh for the lusts of men. But note this, underline this, highlight this. But for the will of God. If you cannot follow in obedience what God desires for you in your life and how you are to live it, then you are not living for God's glory. Whether or not you put that phrase, to God be the glory. And therefore, you are not fulfilling your purpose in this life. Unless you are singularly focused on obediently following God's will in your life, then you are not highlighting and reflecting His glory. In verses 3 and 4, Peter gets very specific. These are the things you used to do, and these are the things you should no longer do, because these things do not reflect God's glory. Look at verse 3 and 4. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. If you do the things that are covered in this partial list in verse 3, then you are not living for God's glory, and therefore you should not do them. But then Peter pivots in verse 4, and he says, If you choose not to do these things, the world will make fun of you. They will think you weird, odd, that you don't do these things. That somehow when you no longer run in their social circles because you don't want to do those things, then they will begin to speak ill of you, and they will speak badly of you. My friends, that is the reality of this life. When you live for God's glory by following His will for your life, the world will mock you. The world will make fun of you. But the choice is yours. 
The choice is yours for how you want to live. I recently spoke uh, at a high school retreat, and there was a time for questions and answers. And I received this question from a high schooler, Pastor, how can we avoid sinning? Great question. And I told this person, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but here's my answer to your question of how we can avoid sinning. Just don't do it. Great answer, I thought. But the right one. You see, at the end of the day, it's simply about not doing it. I know it for many. We, we want 10 ways to avoid sin. But it's not rocket science. The most effective way for not sinning is to not do it. It is a choice. A choice to not sin. And we have the victory in Jesus Christ through the cross to have victory over sin and to make that choice. It is a choice that centers on if you desire to live a life of God's, for God's glory or not. Do you live for your own acceptance or do you live for God's glory? That will foundation your choice of whether you fall into sin or not. God is most glorified in our obedience to His will. In other words, God's glory is highlighted, reflected in our obedience to Him. The world may laugh at us. They may not agree with our decision, but it will show them God's glory because it is so different. The world will be amazed when we do what is right, not in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. It will show forth very clearly God's glory. I remember a true story told by a missions director. This director visited the mother of one of his missionaries to try to spend the time to get to know her. This mother explained to the missions director that she was having a difficult time, especially as her two children, one a daughter, on, a, on the mission field in China, and her other child, a son, as a missionary in Sudan, in Africa. She loved and she missed them dearly. But she explained her love for God allowed her to let them follow His will for their lives. A few months later, the mission's director got word that a missionary in Sudan had been killed. It turned out to be this woman's son. Feeling that he should be the one to break the news to her, he once again visited the mother in her home. After telling her the tragic news, this mother began to cry. And in a moment of composure, she said to the missions director, Sir, I would rather have my son die in the middle of Sudan alone than to have him living here with me, disobeying God's will. It's powerful. I would rather have my son die in the middle of Sudan alone than to have him living here with me, disobeying God's will. The world will not understand this act they will not understand it. It makes no sense. 
what is he doing in Sudan? But this is an act of glory to God. It is in a situation as tough as this where you can say to God be the glory at that mother's acknowledgement. It is in that situation that that phrase to God be the glory finds its full emphasis and full meaning. Because to live for God's glory is to obediently follow His will. God was most glorified in that tragedy. Sometimes we think that when we accomplish something, we get a trophy, we get a world praise, and then as long as we tack on to God be the glory, all glory goes to God, that somehow God is glorified. He is not if what you have done is not consistent with what the Word of God says. The ends do not justify the means. God is only glorified when we obediently follow His will as He has called us in the ways we are to live from the Scriptures. Verse 5. They will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here in verse 5, Peter reminds us and the readers that God judges the peoples of the world. Christ will judge the living and the dead, and He is the right and the authority to judge everyone. We must give an account. Every aspect of our life will have to be accounted for when we meet the judge. And here in verse 5 is implied the second principle in how to live for God's glory. Number two, to live for God's glory is to live faithfully even in the small things. To live for God's glory is to live faithfully even in the small things, even in the small areas of our life in recognition of God's sovereign authority, that one day we will stand before Him and we must give an accounting of our life, things that we have done, even though no one sees it, the small things in our life, He will call to account. And this is important to remember because it is when we forget that He assesses our lives, every aspect of it, that we allow certain areas of our life to slip into sin. When we recognize His supreme authority and His right to judge, it reminds us to live faithfully even in the small areas of our life. You know, someone once asked me a question after I preached in this church. Pastor, why do you always address and note the small things? You always mention cheating on a Chinese test. You always talk about little white lies. They're such minor sins, Pastor. You should be talking about the big ones, like murder. I appreciated that person's question, and I do welcome any question and comments. But I remember telling that person, my friend, I have to address the small things, because if we let our character slip in the small things, we will let it slip in the big things. Does that make sense? If we allow the little things and we allow ourselves to get away with the little things, it will affect the big things. 
you cheat a little, you steal a little while you're young, then there will be nothing to justify in your mind why you cannot do those same, same things in a greater capacity when you are older. And that's the truth. The problem of our generation today is we allow the little things to slip. We allow the little things to run through the filter that we have set up. No wonder we fall into the big sins. If sins could somehow be categorized, which it cannot be. Verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Verse 6 is often misinterpreted because of a cursory reading of it. It would seem to indicate that those who have died may get a second chance at salvation. But the Bible is very clear in other passages that the decisions we make in this lifetime will reverberate throughout eternity. There are no second chances. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 is very clear. Notice in verse 6 that the verb is not is preaching in the present tense. It is in the past tense. It was preached. And so verse 6 is talking about the believer who had the gospel preached to them and they accepted and now they have passed on. They suffer physical death that they may be judged according to men in the flesh. They suffered physical death like we all will, which is the consequence of sin brought unto mankind because of Adam. But the wonderful thing is, but they live according to God in the spirit. They are very much alive in the spirit, awaiting the resurrected body at the rapture. That's why when we say that someone has passed on from this life, we say the body is physically here on earth, but the spirit is very much alive in the presence of the Savior. You see, verse 6 was meant as an encouragement for the Christian to live for God's glory in recognition of his authority. We remember the judge and how he judges. He judges very fairly. He looks at the entirety of our life He looks at the things people often don't look at. And knowing that truth should give you greater freedom to do what is right, to live for His glory. God's glory is reflected in faithfully living, even in the small areas of our life, in response to His authority. That's why when you stop at the red light, when the light is red, you are glorifying God. When you have been given more money by mistake in change, you returning that change brings glory to God. When you fill out a form properly, whether it's a school form or a government form, then you bring glory to God's name. When you get a senior citizen card, only when you are really a senior citizen, you bring glory to God's name. When you do not park in the handicapped parking, when you are really not in fact handicapped, you bring glory to God's name. I don't think you want me to continue with more examples. 
but I think you get the picture. It is not only living by the rules, it is living faithfully in the small things for the glory of God. It is in those things that God is most glorified. It is in those things that you can mutter a voice as you pass by that empty parking slot marked for senior citizens right next to the door knowing that there won't be parking until the fifth floor where you can mutter under your voice, to God be the glory. Because it is in that, living faithfully in accordance with His Word, even in the small things that no one sees, that God is most glorified. And it is there that His splendor and His majesty is most directly reflected and highlighted in your life. Verses 7 to 11. In verses 7 to 11, Peter will speak about serving others. Let me give you the third principle first, and then we'll extrapolate this. Peter speaks in verses 7 to 11 about highlighting God's glory in serving others. And so here's number three. To live for God's glory is to serve others. To live for God's glory is to serve others. He goes into the very specific. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Peter writes in verse 7, In light of the imminent return of Jesus, in light of his imminent return, our life should reflect the glory of God. For the sake of our prayer life. How? Examine your prayers. What do you pray for? Is the majority of your prayer, if you pray at all, is it always about you? Or is it about others? In your prayer, do you pray only for yourself or your family members who don't know the Lord and need to walk more faithfully with the Lord? Do you pray for yourself or do you pray for your friend who is hurting Do you pray for yourself or do you pray for the church body, brothers and sisters in Christ who need help? Do you pray for yourself or do you pray for the community, a community that is so lost that God will raise up men and women to go out into the community, perhaps you, to show them the good news of Jesus Christ? In your prayers, do you pray only about yourself or do you pray for this country which really needs prayer? Do you pray for government officials? from the most local to the national offices? Do you pray that God would use this country as a lighthouse in Southeast Asia and raise up men and women who will go forth and suffer what needs to be suffered so that they can bring the good news all over Asia? Do you pray for yourself or do you pray for the world at large? The unreached peoples of this world Do you ever think about praying about that? Listen carefully. Our prayers often reflect the selfishness of our own heart and thus serve as a mirror into our inner life. Listen again. Our prayers often reflect 
the selfishness of our own heart and thus serves as a mirror into our own inner life. How do you pray? Do you even pray for others? Or is it about you, that God would bless you? God would keep you from all sickness, and that's about it. Our prayers reflect the glory of God when we pray for others. That's how you serve one another. How you serve one another in prayer reflect God's glory. Even Jesus, the great example, before his own impending death, the Gospel of John, the high priestly prayer, prays for his disciples. He prays for us. Verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter says, love one another. In the spirit of love, learn to forgive. Learn to overlook the shortcomings of others. How you serve others in love reflects God's glory. How you serve others in love, in forgiveness, in overlooking their shortcomings reflect God's glory. In her book, Reflections of God's Glory by Corrie Ten Boom, she writes this story. In Africa, a man came to a meeting with bandaged hands. I asked him, sir, how, how were you injured? He said, my neighbor's straw roof was on fire. And so I helped him to put it out. And that's how my hands were burned. If we heard that story, we'd say, wow, what a self-sacrificing, loving man. To God be the glory. What a wonderful testimony. He burned his hand, helping to put out a fire of his neighbor's roof. But then Corey writes, later I heard the whole story, the background. You see, the neighbor hated him. And in fact, had set his roof on fire while his wife and children were asleep in the hut. They were in great danger. Fortunately, the man was able to put out the fire in his own home on time. But the sparks from his house flew over to the house of the man who had set the house on fire. And his neighbor's house started to burn. There was no hate in the heart of the Christian. There was only love for his enemy. And he did everything he could to put out the fire in his neighbor's house. And that is how his own hands were burned. When you know the fuller story, it is in the fullness of that story, in the forgiveness and loving one's enemy, that God's glory is most highlighted in the life of this man whose hands were burnt. So it is with Christ. What he did on the cross. To die were the very same people who were jeering him and mocking him. Who were trying to kill him. As they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. The love of Christ compelled him to the cross. And you can just know his heart as each man, each woman jeered and spit and and shouted, crucify him. He is thinking, I am dying for you. 
and I'm dying for you, and I'm dying for you, and I'm dying for you. That is powerful. And it is in that act where the phrase, to God be the glory, finds its full meaning. Even in the prayer of Jesus, he says, in my actions, may God, you be glorified. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another, note this, without grumbling. Pretty self-explanatory. I'll just give you one example. If you offer to pick up someone at the airport, do not complain about how early or how late their flight is. If you offer to drop someone off at the airport, don't complain about the traffic to get there. Verse 10. As each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You and I have been given gifts to serve the body of Jesus Christ. The question is, what are you doing with it? If God is giving you two hands with very nimble fingers, what are you doing with those two hands and nimble fingers? Do you simply play video games? Or are you doing something to serve others? Perhaps using that, those nimble fingers to play the guitar, to play the piano, to do so to encourage others. If God has given you the gift of eloquent words, the gift of gab, do you use it to gossip or do you use it to encourage? How you serve others through your gifts reflect God's glory. As we talked about just one verse before, how you serve others in hospitality reflect God's glory. How you serve others through your gifts reflect God's glory. Peter sums it up in verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter sums it up in verse 11. If someone speaks, if someone serves, if someone does something, it should all be done for the glory of God. God's glory is seen when we serve others. Interestingly enough, in these 11 verses, nowhere on, in these verses are listed personal accomplishments. The Bible does not talk about winning an award, you're winning a trophy, you're getting a work honor, you're building a corporate empire, you're building a building. It's not mentioned here. Who are individual achievements mentioned in these verses? It's not. So listen carefully. Individual accomplishments and achievements only highlight the glory of God when it serves others. Individual achievements only highlight the glory of God when it serves others. 
Have you heard of the name Martin Shkreli? Probably doesn't ring a bell in your mind. But if you ever Google the name Martin Shkreli, you will find that this 32-year-old man has a title. He is known in 2015 as the world's most hated man. Not a title you want to achieve. Of this, the BBC says of him, he has been called the morally bankrupt sociopath, a scumbag, a garbage monster, everything that's wrong with this world. And these are some of the tamer comments. What did this man do to receive the title, the world's most hated man? In fact, if you read about this man's life, it's quite an inspirational story. A son of immigrants, very humble beginnings, self-made millionaire, multimillionaire. And if he was a Christian, which I don't believe he is, he could have added, to God be the glory. Wow, what an inspirational life. What did he do? Last year, out of nowhere... He instructed his pharmaceutical company, Turin, to raise the drug Daraprim, which helped men and women with weakened immune systems. Millions use this drug around the world. He raised the price of the drug Daraprim by 5,000%. From 13.5 U.S. dollars a pill, which is already expensive, to $750 a pill, one pill. When the media asked him, Martin, why did you do this? His reply, because I can. Makes you want to love him, don't you? Another media outlet asked him, Martin, don't you know that this will affect millions around the world? They cannot afford this life-saving drug. His general response, I don't care. I can make lots of money. I don't care how it affects others. Individual achievements only highlight the glory of God when it serves others. Joel Stowell writes, when something good happens to someone, when they receive an individual achievement, an internal spiritual battle occurs. Do we keep the glory for ourselves or do we turn the spotlight back to God where it belongs? And that is the internal battle you and I go through. It is a battle that one phrase does not solve. And the question for us is, do we really keep the glory to ourselves or do we turn the spotlight back on the one who deserves the praise? Personal thanksgiving for individual accomplishments are important because it praises and thanks God, the author of all good things. But don't let those words simply be lip service. When you receive an individual accolade or achievement, when the spotlight is turned on you, what a great opportunity for you to turn the spotlight back up to God and remind all those who are captured audience listening to what you are saying 
that there is something more important in your life. And that is how you serve others. Verse 11, let him who speak, speak the words of God. Sports players do it all the time. Basketball players, NBA players. After they win a competition, after they've broken a record, praise God, all glory to Him. But those words are useless if their speech and their life don't show forth. And I've seen so many interviews as they interview NBA superstars. How did you do after this game? Wonderful, praise God. And then after that simple phrase, they still talk about themselves. That's why I genuinely respect someone like Stephen Curry. I rarely mention names of athletes because it's hard to promote someone, especially if their lives are not consistent with their talk. But I've heard enough interviews by Stephen Curry to know that when media outlets ask him about his accomplishments, he always wants to talk about something more important than basketball. He said it many a times. He always says, can I talk about something more important than this game? Can I talk to you about Jesus Christ, which is more important than my accomplishments? And my friends, you, who are very accomplished people, will have many opportunities to give God the glory as you serve others by telling them that there is something more important in your life when you receive an award and you have the opportunity to say a few words, don't just simply throw out a phrase, to God be the glory. Tell them about why you live your life. Tell them what you live your life for. Tell them about the purpose of your life. Tell them that your life is more than about selling insurance. Tell them that your life is more than about building a business empire. Tell them that your life is more than about studious studying. Tell them that with the honors that you have, you are doing this so that you have the privilege and the opportunity to tell them that there is a God to whom you are living for. Tell them about that which is more important than the individual achievements you are receiving. Because it is in that action of serving others that God is most glorified. His name be praised. You see, to God be the glory without any context is just a phrase. A phrase that's used too often to justify and mask how prideful we are. You see, my friends, as these verses have told us, God's glory is not often highlighted in your great individual achievements and accomplishments. It is seen in the small things of your life. It is seen in your obedience. It is seen in your faithfulness. It is seen in your service to others. Because this is what Jesus Christ did also himself on the cross. As he walked Calvary's path, Jesus Christ did not draw attention to the world's greatest act, which he is about to do. Jesus Christ obeyed the Father, faithful until the end, and was doing so that he could save mankind. And for his actions, the Bible tells us, 
he was exalted by God the Father. And that's why we say to him, be all honor and glory and praise. The next time you say to God, be the glory, or you write to God, be the glory, run it through these filter questions. Am I living in accordance with his will and obedience when I did what I did? If you did something unethical, if you did something wrong, do not ascribe glory to God. He is not glorified in that. Ask yourself the question, am I living in accordance with his will in obedience to his word when I did what I did? The second filter question, did I live faithfully? Did I faithfully live out my life in recognition of his authority? Did I faithfully live out my life? Am I faithfully living my Christian walk in recognition of his authority? And then the third filter question, did I do it to serve others as modeled by Christ in order to have the privilege to serve others? It's about service. Did I do it to serve others as modeled by Christ? When your actions pass these three filter questions, then you can rightfully say, to God be the glory. And the true impact of that phrase can be seen. I close with the words in verse 11. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your word, it is a good reminder even to me. And I pray it has touched the hearts of many this morning. May we not simply pay lip service to ascribe glory when we are not reflecting and highlighting your intrinsic glory. I pray that in each action, in each accolade, that we have accomplished it for your glory by living in obedience, by living faithfully, by doing so in the service of others. May every opportunity we are given to stand in front of men and women of the world, that we can talk about our lives in the context of we living for something greater. We live for a higher purpose. And although the world may mock and they may not understand, it is okay. Because it, it is in that transformative testimony that you are most glorified. It is in that action that God's glory is reflected in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.